Hello and welcome to another episode of Right Care Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And I'm Amanda Comer, a nurse practitioner and the system director for advanced practice providers. And today we're very excited to have Dr. Mahotra here to talk to us about multidisciplinary lung nodule care. Dr. Mahotra, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me over, Amanda and Jake. Uh, I'm Anurag Mahotra. I'm an interventional pulmonologist at Baptist uh, East. Uh, um, I work at Memphis Lung, and um, thank you for having me here. No problem. How long have you been with uh, Baptist? So it's a story. I started in 2018. I, um, I, uh, I worked for about two years, and then I was working at the uh, uh, work. I would go to the tumor boards at uh, run by Dr. Osterbaum, and um, I got very involved with the program, and I said, well, if I'm really going to do this, so let's go ahead and formalize this and go for advanced training. So I went to University of Illinois in Chicago for interventional pulmonology, and my wife and kids were like, oh, really? Your middle, mid is this your midlife crisis? I'm like, no, this is not a midlife crisis. I am really going to do this. So that was one year. And then when I was done with fellowship, I, I knew everybody at Baptist and Memphis. And I was like, if, if this is going to be successful and I can make it really successful, I need to go back to Memphis to the same program. Well, that's great. And, and thank you so much for, for coming back. And thanks again for being on the program today. So just to start off, um, Tell us a little bit about what is a multidisciplinary approach to lung nodule care. What team members does this approach include, and uh, why is this important? Great. So, so let me take you under the hood of what happens with lung nodule care. So, as you know, you know, learn, learning through medical school, residency, fellowship, we learned about you know disease states. What we increasingly realized is, you know, you can't do everything yourself. You need a you need a team. You know, gone are the days where we could take care of five different diseases and look into the patient's uh, uh, eyes and say, I'm, I'm doing the best possible care for you anywhere on the planet. So the only way to reach excellence or create a center of excellence is to have, you know, uh, you know, it's not cheating to stand on the shoulder of giants, to have giants and then you piggyback on them. So how it works is uh, if somebody has uh, is a smoker, has uh, had 20 pack year history of smoking, uh, is actively smoking, or has quit within the uh, well within 15 years and they're eligible for low dose uh, screening. The primary care doctors order a low dose uh, screening scan. Now, when that scan is ordered, most of the times it's going to come back as you know uh, benign, so they'll get a scan once a year. Um, through the program, here's your pathway. So the low dose scan gets ordered. Uh, John Powell is our uh, smoking cessation guru. He uh, he's he's a nurse practitioner who runs the smoking cessation program at Baptist Cancer Center. We gotta quit, get people quick smoking. So I call John. John, here's here's my here's our patient. He's had a scan, but you know what's gonna really make a difference? Smoking cessation. So let's and. The last I heard is he's had helped 35 percent of our smokers quit smoking. Uh, wow. Uh, uh, so he's, that's a great bone. Now, if there is an abnormality, and a lot of times there isn't, um, I will say, hey, let's repeat a scan, not in one year now, let's repeat a scan in three months. 
Now, if there is still a concerning nodule, I may say, let's uh, either do a CT guided needle biopsy or navigate robotically to this nodule. And why are we doing this? We're doing this to find it early. We find doing find it at one centimeter, find it at eight or nine millimeters, find it at T1. So if there is a cancer, we identify it early, and then we uh, we uh, we then we discuss at the conference. We get a breathing test or PFT. Uh, I discuss it with Dr. Robbins, who, uh, the, our thoracic surgeon, and we get the patient surgically resected. Now you've cured lung cancer. Now, having all these giants and riding on the shoulder of all these giants has helped me make a difference for this patient who would have net, who would have otherwise had a concerning nodule that could have grown or not been found. So this is the only way I can decrease lung cancer uh, mortality is by working within this team collaborating with all these members. Now, other than I told you about the smoking cessation, um, uh, smoking cessation group in our meeting, there's our thoracic radiologist, Dr. Machen, Dr. Tonkin, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, we have our oncology group. Uh, we have radiation oncologists. We have, we have pulmonologists. We're meeting every Wednesday morning to, to look over these patients and we are accountable to each other. So one of the other 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 things is, you know, we col we collaborate. So I understand how my team, how our team members are going to exactly do um, or uh, exactly uh, say or respond and use each other's strengths. So, and this is always, uh, this I feel is the future of healthcare. I mean, to be able to complement each other's skill set and to develop each other's strength while uh, you know while not being bogged down into artificial barriers i'm i'm an internist i'm a pulmonologist i only do this i only do that i don't i think gone are the days of uh, me putting a wall up i mean i think it's about the patient and it's about if i'm not sure of something i'm going to discuss it at our conference i'm going to put five heads together i'm going to ask Ask our surgeon to, for help. I'm gonna, and I don't mind asking for help. I, it's not about my ego. I love that statement. It truly is about the patient and how can we work together to to have the best outcomes for our patients. So when you talked about the team, you you started with the primary care provider, the primary care physician. So how can we appropriately triage what may come back an abnormal CT scan, and where do we go from there? So, uh, so appro appropriately triaging. So our radiologists uh, read the report. Um, they actually have a lung rads category. It it comes out with a lung rads category and the recommendation. So anytime there's an abnormality uh, in, in that, it's usually indicated by the radiologist. And um, invo involving the entire team is a simple order on Epic. Uh, you know, re referral to a multi-D or referral to a lung nodule clinic. Uh, additionally, uh, you, we, I'm going to encourage, uh, I'm available in basket or Epic, Epic text message for, for uh, our primary care providers will often directly reach out to the team, uh, giving us a background. They will send us in basket and say, hey, I saw this patient in clinic today. I looked at the CT 
did you guys mind looking over? And um, that, so those are the two avenues. I think the, the best ways is an, or, is an order in Epic, but communication is key. So uh, please reach out to us. And so I think a lot of our primary care physicians will be familiar with you know, BRADs for, for um, breast cancer screening. Um, but longer ads is it's a little new. I mean, it's it, I guess it's been around for you know, how, 10 years now or more, but um, just for the rest, can you can you fill us in on on what this staging system is like and how it helps you triage uh, who needs to go to the clinic, the lung, lung nodule clinic versus you know, who may just need to repeat scan later? So uh, I would say look at the bottom of the report. It usually, it all, every radiology report, if it's done for screening, comes with a recommendation. Anytime it's not uh, not a benign follow-up at one year, it's always good to involve the lung nodule clinic, uh, if there's, especially if it's lung rads four, uh, but uh, four, 4A or, you know, 4, 4B, but uh, anytime you're not doing a, yearly scan anytime you're doing a three month or six month follow-up it's always good to involve the program we may not see the patient right uh, say see the patient but we will review the scan and say okay yes we agree, you know we agree with this let's uh, let's stick on stick to this pathway and we will track those patients so you mentioned the pathway what is the baptist lung nodule care pathway so this is uh, so when the patient comes to our attention, our attention means uh, our nurse navigators, uh, Amanda Epperson, um, Kim, Denise, and there's a there's there's a team of nurse navigators. What they do is they 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 uh, reach out to the uh, to the pulmonologist and they say, Hey, Dr. Mahotra, we got the scan. You know, let's look. Uh, do you want to uh, please review the scan and tell tell us wh what do you want to do next? So I look at the scan, I review the reports, I look at the images, and say, hey, we're, uh, this looks, uh, I don't think this patient needs to come in, let's repeat the scan in three months, or let's repeat the scan in six months. But if there's a concerning nodule, I say, well, I think we need to have a discussion. This is, re we should need to uh, meet the patient. We need to say, hey, there are two options here. We can wait for another three months, or we can cons consider biopsy. Uh, we do a lung nodule risk stratification score uh, based on the Mayo Clinic model. Uh, if the risk of cancer is more than 10%, we offer a biopsy. If the patient is high risk, for example, they have comorbidities or cardiac conditions, we say, look, you know, you know, we 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 should probably wait, get you get uh, get you cleared by a cardiologist and. Uh, that that's that's an in-person discussion with the patient because it is a partnership. A lot of this is patient values. There are people who would not accept a risk of 10%, and there are people who would say, you know what, I'll buy, I'll take the 90%. You know, I I'll, I'll wait for three months and see what happens in the next scan. So you found a nodule and uh, you decide that it, it warrants a biopsy, and and I think you mentioned earlier that the options that you have for biopsy. Uh, whether it's CT guided versus endobronchial, any other uh, types of biopsies, would you, you know, it, do you, would you do like an open lung? Um, and how do you decide which one of those methodologies? Is it based on the location of the, of the nodule or, or how do you go about making that decision? That's a great question. So there is three different biopsy options. 
One of them is a CT guided needle biopsy, which uh, uh, which uh, we uh, which has a great diagnostic yield. Uh, involves going to the interventional radiologist, uh, uh, being on getting a CT scan, and uh, getting a needle uh, you know placed and get, um, uh, getting a biopsy. Now, typically it's reserved for uh, lesions in the periphery, uh, periphery of the lung. If something is more central or or uh, within uh, the inner two thirds of the lung, we do robotic bronchoscopy. Now, robotic bronchoscopy is a very interesting technology. One of the things uh, uh, we, I'm going to back up a little bit here and get, delve in a little bit of history of bronchoscopy. As you know, bronchoscopy is uh, nothing but in a, uh, st sticking a tube with a camera in your lungs. That's the basics we started with. But then eventually we moved to electromagnetic navigation. That was a precursor of robotic bronchoscopy in the last uh, 15 years, where patients would get a, we would upload the CT scan in the machine. We would place a, uh, place a marker pad on the patient's chest. The patient would get anesthesia, and then we would go drive our scope with a little catheter all the way to that one centimeter uh, nodule, mm. and and then. You know the, the software would tell us based on electromagnetic data, hey, you got to turn left, you got to turn right, or you got to turn up or down, because you really can't, can't see anything that deep in the lung. Now, that was going on. We were, that was still considered fairly advanced, and but then comes uh, uh, comes the new technology, which is called safe, safe shape sensing, which we actually got from, which Intuitive actually got from a company called Luna. Uh, it was actually meant for space on the uh, for rovers to detect shape using no uh, electromagnetic field by using the sh uh, using fiber optic light. So it's a catheter with a light, and it senses the shape of the catheter. So patient comes in, uh, gets anesthesia. I go inside the uh, I, I drop a small catheter and navigate using a small controller, and it can take me all the way far out, all the way to the edges of the lung. Um, and then we do an intraoperative CT scan, cone beam CT scan, and we get biopsies. The advantage of st staying endoluminally, it's almost uh, the endoscopic version of the natural orifice surgery is that there is no scars. So the risk of a pneumothorax, so which is collapsed lung or leakage of air, is much low. For example, in the last uh, 40 summers of cases, I've not had to put a single chest tube for a pneumothorax for a lung biopsy which itself is a remarkable achievement. You're doing a biopsy of the lung and you're having such low pneumothorax rates uh, that that itself is key. So that's robotic bronchoscopy. Now, robotic bronchoscopy also allows me in the same instance to do to an ultrasound survey of the lymph nodes in the mediastinum because in effect, I'm preparing the patient either for surgery or curative radiation therapy. So when I sample the lymph nodes in the mediastinum, I uh, make sure there's no tumor cells in the mediastinum so we get an accurate mediastinal stage. And then based on that stage, as well as diagnosis, we decide on the treatment course. So that's ro robotic bronchoscopy and uh, you mentioned CT guided. You, it, did you say there's a third approach or was that the? Yes, the third approach is a surgical biopsy. When when our minimally invasive biopsies fail, which there is a small failure rate uh, and we're still concerned about it, we, uh, we consider the surgical approach, which is also done 
using um, using uh, the DaVinci robotic system. Okay. Fascinating. And so you, you talked about pneumothorax being one possible complication. Are there others? Yes, there are. So there is about a 2% uh, uh, based on studies, there's about a 2% risk of pneumothorax. There is about a 2% risk of bleeding that may, that will require some sort of uh, uh, intervention, usually is application of a small balloon blocker for, uh, for, for a small period of time. There is obviously, you know, the rare chance of anything seriously going wrong, like uh, which is the standard complication rate for any procedure in anesthesia, which is, you know, medication side effects or, uh, you know, uh, anything else going wrong is extremely rare. All right. So how vital is detecting these lung cancers early um, as far as benefit to mortality or, or long-term long term, uh, cancer survival? It's a game changer. You know, if you diagnose it early enough and we nip it in the bud, you know, there you're, you're cured. And then you're back to surveillance. You're in surveillance. So this is the biggest change in mortality that I that we can do as a program, along with, uh, uh, you know, with, as I said, you know, this doesn't work alone. It works with uh, no biopsy is, is going to change mortality. It's going to work only as a team. So sure. we get it diagnosed early. We get it. We get it. We get it surgically resected. We get surveillance scans. If there's anything else suspicious that comes after we track it, we get our smoking cessation folks to help patient quit smoking. So this is a holistic uh, approach to it. And I think um, we talked earlier on the program about how, you know, a lot of these screening and surveillance programs and early treatment like breast cancer and colon cancer, they reduced or they improved the survival rate or, or sorry, reduced mortality from lung cancer, not lung cancer, but those cancers, but they didn't maybe decrease overall mortality, whereas so lung, the, the lung nodule one actually does decrease all-cause mortality. Is that correct? Yes, there was a 20% decrease in the NLSD trial. So, and that trial was done some time ago. So, um, you know, there there was significant decrease in mortality, and that's why these programs there's an impetus for every um, hospital system to create these programs. And when hospital systems do start creating these programs, they realize you need the whole team. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. Now, we spoke a lot about the multidisciplinary or team approach, and, and we've heard a lot about this in the oncology world. Do you see this catching on in other service lines or other areas of patient care? Absolutely. I think, uh, uh, so I'm driven by decreasing lung cancer mortality. I'm driven by decreasing, um, you know, finding, uh, you know, uh, get, uh, trying to find out what are these suspicious nodules. Now, if, if at any point a human being is driven to f improve a quality in a certain disease state, so be it heart failure, be it uh, you know interstitial lung disease, be it pulmonary hypertension, be it colon cancer, you will uh, that person or that team will realize that they will need all the ducks in the row. They will need uh, they will need starting from 
the door of the clinic where the patient comes in to, you know, making sure we get follow-ups. It's, it's the entire change. No one can say do one procedure or do one thing and affect a change. So that's the big difference from when I when, when I learned as a resident as fellow, I know how to take care of heart failure, but can I affect mortality? Can I make a system-wide difference? I think that's 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 it, that's going to be the future. You you'll see. I suspect. Uh, I suspect you'll see programs being developed with these markers. It's really interesting. I feel like oncology has really led the way with this multidisciplinary approach. I mean, we've had tumor boards for a while now, uh, where you get multiple specialists in the room to review a case and decide the appropriate treatment. And you know, more recently, I think cardiology with complex cardiac cases has started to head in this direction. It just makes sense for almost every disease, especially because it's gotten so complex. Uh, any thoughts on, on what what next specialty is going to be affected or disease state? So, uh, you know, uh, you're right. Cardiology, valve programs are like that. Um, uh, car cardiac transplant programs are like that. Most transplant centers in the country are team-based approaches. You know, you go to a transplant center first. For often, the first person you meet is the social worker. It's like so. Uh, so I think it's going to boil down to uh, to every disease, every disease state. And I think uh, to name a few, I can tell you, speak for pulmonology. In my field, there's interventional pulmonology, which is dedicated to work with pulmonary pulmonary oncology and thoracic oncology. Uh, there is interstitial lung disease specialists who who work with rheumatologists. Mm. There is pulmonary hypertension specialists who work with uh, transplant cardiologists. There are uh, CO, there are COPD and, and emphysema folks emphysema folks who work with thoracic surgeons who do lung volume reduction. And so in a large uh, and then there are asthma uh, pulmonologists who are very interested in biologics and they are actually working closely with allergy immunology and um, so in th that's just within pulmonology yeah so a well-developed uh, pulmonology division will will have all these programs so if i can speak to five about four or five things in pulmonology i'm sure every uh, every cardiologist or nephrologist or you know, gastroenterologists will can probably tell you about more of the programs in their in their centers of excellence. Yeah, no, that's great. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, so interventional pulmonology is a subspecialty of pulmonology. They, we have our own association, American Association of Interventional Pulmonology. Uh, again, is riding on the shoulder of giants. So, for example, AABIP has uh, has a has a has a pathway for advanced practice providers in interventional pulmonology. So if you go to Henry Ford or you go to Cleveland Clinic or you go to Vanderbilt, they have an interventional pulmonology nurse practitioner who screens every patient going into that into that service. Is the patient appropriate? You know, that's uh, again, you can't do all this, uh, create all these pathways by just having one or two people there. Great examples. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I certainly learned a lot today and I uh, hope the medical staff did as well. Um, any last words for the for the audience before we let you go? Uh, 
you know, thank you for having me over. I think this is just the beginning. I think interventional pulmonology and the lung nodule program are but a model of future of healthcare. Well, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Right Care at Baptist. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can redeem this episode for CME credit.